Hey everybody, Larry Powell here, your host for Studio HFL. Thanks for coming back again for another interview. Hope you've enjoyed those that you've already listened to and are looking forward to hearing from this week's guest. Just a word about sponsors, and I'm thrilled to announce that along with Messina Covers and the Eastman Music Company, we now have Pickett Blackburn as a sponsor. Trumpet players can be kind of picky when it comes to cases, maybe even more so than other players. And if you've got an idea for a custom case, then Messina Covers is where you need to go. Erica Howard and David Messina will help you design the ideal case and in some pretty crazy colors. They also offer mouthpiece pouch options and not just trumpet bags, but now you can get a case made for just about anything you can imagine. Be sure to check them out at MessinaCovers.net. If you're looking for excellence in trumpets, trombones, horns, and tubas, you need look no further than the Eastman Music Company. Eastman offers a complete line of brass instruments from the beginner all the way up to the professional. And of course, with SE Shires, you now have the Q-Series and the professional models. The legendary Doc Severinsen even helped design Eastman's beginner trumpet model. You can find more information about the Eastman Music Company at eastmanwinds.com. And you can learn more about the SE Shires line of instruments at seshires.com. Pickett Blackburn has certainly established themselves as a top-tier resource for trumpet players. If you haven't had a chance yet to try any of the stock or even some of the custom mouthpieces available through Pickett, you can check them out online at pickettblackburn.com. And of course, the Blackburn side of Pickett Blackburn includes their incredible line of trumpets, endorsed by such great musicians as Vince DiMartino. Again, be sure to check them out at picketblackburn.com, and Picket is with two T's. Before we get to today's interview, just a reminder that you can be a financial supporter for this podcast by subscribing at patreon.com slash studio HFL. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash studio HFL. There are four levels of support offered, and you can choose the one that best fits your budget. Your support will help offset the cost of production for this podcast and would be greatly appreciated. Please consider becoming a subscriber at patreon.com slash studio HFL. And now on to today's interview. Greg Wing, hey, uh, I've known about you forever. This is the first time I've ever met you. And mm-hmm. it's a pleasure to, to meet you and to welcome you to my podcast, Studio HFL. Well, this is wonderful. I appreciate you having me. And, and my goodness, you certainly have done a lot in the world. And uh, it's been nice reading about your bio and checking out some of the pictures and a student events, huh? I tell you what, uh, I was telling somebody the other day, I, I grew up in Kentucky. Where? Uh, um, near Elizabethtown, E-Town. Oh, yeah, sure. And I uh, went to one of the Hardin County High Schools, which isn't oh, a high school yeah. anymore. Yep. But I uh, heard about this guy at, at UK and thought, boy, I hadn't studied with anybody yet. So my junior year, I, I found his phone number and I went to the school office and I called him and I said, Mr. Martino, you know, and I was sh- probably <laughs> shaken like sure. crazy. And I'd like to get some lessons with you. Yeah, sure, kid. You know, come on up. So my dad drove me up there and uh, I had no idea who he was. You know, I mean, not not the scope and certainly not, you know, who he was going to become. But um, he has been that has to be the most fortuitous thing that could have ever happened. 
sure. to, to study with him. And I, I think it's a lifelong study with Vince. I mean, he, he still teaches me something well, yeah. every time I hear him and uh, speak and play. So, Boy, you can play. Yeah, can he, well, right? Well, I mean, Vince and, Vince and I go way back when I'm in, I'm also from, from Kentucky, from Covington. Oh, whereabouts? Oh, Covington. no kidding. Yeah. And I grew up with the James Cope and Avery Holmes High School band dynasty in, in the late 60s and early 70s. Yeah. And I went to Moorhead State for my undergrad. And I remember about my third year there, um, Vince was just at UK. And so mm -hmm. Vince would come to Moorhead to hear the symphony band under the under Robert Hawkins. Yeah, and the symphony band was pretty pretty stellar at that time. He had mm -hmm. quite a reputation, and so Vince came over and introduced himself. Then our we just kind of met one time, and then our paths <laughs> took took off. And my my career went one way, and he he stayed in in Kentucky for a very long time. You know, even yeah. now. Yeah. And uh, but when I moved back to Kentucky in two thousand and two, after being in Las Vegas for twenty one years. Vince was the first person to contact me and says, hey, Greg, it's Vince DiMartino. Welcome back to Kentucky. That's him, yeah. right? Oh, I mean, yeah. That's... Yeah. And so, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a dear friend. Yeah. I played in Dojo for, for, for quite a few years before I bowed out. Now I'm like a permanent sub. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Vince, we just did a Kentucky Teachers uh, podcast mm. live for live Facebook last week. Yeah. Dr. Jason Dovell who was yeah. the predecessor, you know, of UK dynasty. Sure. He put together all of the teaching professors in Kentucky for a live Facebook chat. So we're going to probably do that again before the summer's over. That's a great but, idea. But Vince was there and directing us all. And, uh, <laughs> you know, his words of wisdom, you know, it's like E.F. Hutton. When Vince DiMartino <laughs> talks, everybody listens. That's right. <laughs> and there's a, there's a good reason for that. So yeah. it, it was great. Vince yeah. is a wonderful human being. And Gabriel's not not uh, too bad, right? <laughs> no. They, well, they say the apple doesn't fall 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 from the tree. From the trees, yeah, it's yeah. amazing. He's yeah. so talented. So yeah. you know, uh, Vince has to me opened more doors. Uh, sure. You know, because the the enthusiasm. It's not just about teaching you how to play, but I mean the connections and and mm -hmm. the encouragement uh, to always seek out new things. And it's just oh, yeah. you know, I aspire he, to be that way. Absolutely. With my own uh, well, absolutely. You know, yeah. Vince is still like the kid with the candies in the candy store. You know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he he eats, breathes, lives trumpet. He loves to show to show you what he's doing and what he practices on. And he he's such a he's such a natural virtuoso yeah. that you know he 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 practices his craft to stay up on it. Yeah. And he 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 loves to talk talk about what he what he's doing. Mm -hmm. But I mean, just just to inspire and to nurture all of us that a man in his early 70s, Vince and I are about three and a half years apart, by the way. And um, who's you know, older? Saying, uh, Vince is older. He's older. Yeah, yeah much older. You know, white hair of his. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but do you yeah. remember when it used to be jet black and that, that huge black beard that he had? You know? um, yeah, vaguely, but only from pictures do I oh, remember okay, him. Because, okay. you know, after I met him that one time, we really didn't have any association with each other until my mm -hmm. God. 30 years later, 40 years later. Right. But it was incredible. Yeah. But, uh, so you're at the University of Indianapolis. You've been there, what, 15 years or so? Uh, since fall of 07. So whatever that makes it, 13. Okay, yeah. 13. Yeah, 13. yeah that's nice. And uh, yeah, you do all yeah. the shows up there I was reading. And uh, Jeff Conrad, a good buddy of mine. Greg N. Bovins, a very good friend of mine. And Yeah. And, I, you know, uh, Jeff and I cross paths occasionally, but we don't yeah. seem, maybe we work together in the studio a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but Jeff's yeah. a great player. 
You oh know? yeah. And man, Greg, of course, can play anything. You know, any of the women yeah. stuff is is really yeah. good. And there's another there's another case where the apple doesn't fall from the tree. His kids are really fine players too. Greg's kids. Yes. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very very talented family. It's amazing yeah. how how that happens to be. Yeah. yeah you know, I'm uh, I start I'm going to be starting my 19th year at Moorhead. Wow. And uh, I'm going to do two more years. And so in about a couple of years, I'm going to retire. My wife and I have already bought two two land two pieces of land on the Cambridge Golf Course community in Evansville, Indiana. Yeah. Now I have to ask you: Are they adjoining pieces, or is she going to live on one and you're going to live on the other? <laughs> <laughs> now they're they're adjoining, but it's kind of funny. It's like a family affair. My my son went to the University of Evansville to play basketball there. Oh, cool. And he met he met his wife there, and so they have a little baby girl, and uh, they're they're going to be at at the end of the street, our two lots are going to be about a block away and her parents are about two blocks away. So oh, we're, that's going to, going to be we're going to be nice. We're going to be nice and close to the grandkids and spoil the heck out of them. And uh, I plan on teaching as many lessons and traveling and playing as much as I can until I can't do it anymore. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, you know, these days, I mean, doc has kind of set the bar pretty high for uh, <laughs> staying in the game. Right. I mean, who, who well, else is going to make it to 92, 93 years old and, and still, still play like that? The one thing about Doc, obviously, he's been a lifelong inspiration of mine. And what other trumpet player can't can't say, you know, everyone says that. Sure. But but he's the epitome of a guy that loves to do what he does. And uh, he's got that movie coming out, that documentary about him. Oh. And that's one of the things he said about that is that I, I love what I do. And trumpet playing is a lifelong journey. And it is very, very therapeutic. It makes you feel good about you. Even when all the wrong notes come out, yeah. it's it, it's a it's a very humbling it's a very humbling uh, uh, very humbling instrument. Yeah. That sure is fun. You know, kind of, Doc's got that documentary coming out. Of course, it's been delayed because of because of all this stuff going yeah. on. Um, I've been in contact. I've been trying to get a hold of uh, uh, Herb Alpert to yeah. interview him, sure. and was told by his management uh, they thought I was calling to, about the movie, and I said what? And he said, well, you know. Uh, Herb Alpert's documentary is being delayed. So, you know, I, I had uh, no idea that was in the works, but, uh, you know, there's another sound that I grew up with, sure. uh, that we all grew up with, you know, Tijuana oh, Brass. Yeah. And, Tijuana and Brass and Al Hurt. It was, you know, Tijuana Brass and Al Hurt and Harry James and yeah. Doc Severson for me. That, that's the only four trumpet players I really knew that existed. Yeah. Yeah. So. But we wore them out, didn't we? I, I think oh, we're still oh, wearing them out, you know. <laughs> well, I mean, I remember, I remember playing Doc's uh, on his Brass Roots LP. It was the theme from Love Story, and he does that mm. nice uh, theme and development type of a fugue in the middle of it. I mean, I did that on my graduate recital. It, it was I had such a lasting impression about it, and uh, to this day, when I'm playing commercial solo stuff, that's the sound that I envision in my head. Mm. Get that fiery, just flat out gorgeous trumpet sound that's okay with me if it's yeah. good enough for doc it's good enough for me right <laughs> but oh man I mean, who, who wasn't inspired by his tenacity you know and, it, uh, it, but it's do you find that uh you know these students coming into moorhead do you find that uh, they're like doc who you know and then you have to educate them on yes on this yeah. right one of the first questions i ask my students can you name me 10 trumpet players that you listen to every day Mm. And most of them have difficulty naming five. And so that's where we start. Of all the resources that these kids have today, to not to listen to trumpet players. Oh, my goodness. I mean, I spend a lot of time getting inside their heads and talking to them about, about how to 
you know, go at this thing we call trumpet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. So uh, what'd you say? You just finished your 19th year at Moorhead. Is that right? Coming into my 19th Coming year. In. I started this uh, higher education journey when I was 50. Wow. So I, I was in Las Vegas. You know, I left Indiana in 81. I was a student of Mr. Adams, Bill Adams. Mm-hmm. And um, obviously, you know, that's a lifelong journey, as you know, when sure. you buy into a philosophy and you teach it, and you preach it, mm-hmm. then you uh, you try to adhere to those philosophies. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, spent spent 21 years in Las Vegas. I was on the road with Buddy Rich when I got out there. And that's an interesting story, I'll tell you. Oh, wait, you too. so you weren't just playing the slots for 21 years. You were. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, <laughs> believe it or not, I actually made a very good living for 21 years in Las Vegas. I've never been unemployed. How so about I'm, that? Yeah, I'm yeah. one of the fortunate few that hit the heyday. I was at the end of the heyday and the beginning of the strike. And uh, yeah. when I moved there, every house, every hotel still had a 20 or 25 piece house orchestra. Yeah. I remember doing Tony Bennett at Caesar's Palace with a 60-piece orchestra. Holy and, cow. And I was there when we did Natalie Cole's Unforgettable, you know, her tour. And mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. It, that was fun. And then uh, Buddy Rich for a year and a half. That was an interesting story. I got to share that with you. Yeah, please. Moved, moved with a master's degree from at that time is labeled the best music school in the world from Indiana University, right? Mm-hmm. So I move move out to Las Vegas with no job. I thought I had a job at the top of the dunes with an entertainer, but it it uh, never came to be. Mm-hmm. So we still moved out to Las Vegas with nothing, just on a dream. Three weeks after I moved there, I received a call about three forty five in the afternoon from Steve Peck, who was Buddy Rich's road manager, mm-hmm. and he goes, "Greg, Steve Peck with Buddy Rich's Buddy Rich's band." I went, "Yeah," and he says, uh, "We've got a." Uh, opening for Lee Trumpet to fill the end of the tour for two weeks and uh, no promises that Buddy likes you, we can talk about it then. And so I, I uh, had just moved out to Vegas and I didn't think my wife would appreciate me moving her all the way across country then going on the road. Mm-hmm. And so I turned I turned it down. And so, uh, yeah, this, yeah, wait a minute. <laughs> so I turned it down and she's in the back doing some gardening. And I went back and said, honey, you never believe what just happened. I just got a call to go out on the road with Buddy Richard. She goes, well, well, you accepted it, didn't you? And I go, well, no, I didn't think you want me to go on the road. So I started having second thoughts and they were, at, they were in Elkhart, Indiana. So yeah. I remember back in the old phone book days and direct, <laughs> directory assistance days yes. that I, I got every hotel in Elkhart, Indiana. And fortunately, there weren't many of them. Mm-hmm. So I, got, I called and I just happened to luck on to the right one. I said, is Buddy Rich's band staying there? And they said, well, yes. I said, can you connect me to Steve Peck's room? So all of a sudden, Peck here. I said, Steve, this is Greg Wing in Las Vegas again. I said, I've reconsidered. He goes, oh, oh, okay. I said, what do I need to do? He says, well, we hit, we're hitting and running here tonight. We're, we're playing in Detroit tomorrow night. Be here. And I said, okay. So I got the cheapest flight that I could at that time. And I flew, flew that next day from Las Vegas to Detroit. Got in about 5 o'clock. It was a 7 o'clock downbeat. There was no rehearsal. Mm-hmm. And your audition was how well you did those two weeks. And I got lucky. At the end of the two weeks, Buddy was getting off his off off the bus up to his uh, upper west side Manhattan apartment. Mm-hmm. And uh, he turned around to me and go, wing, see you when we get back, kid. And that's when I knew I had the job. Wow. And so I was still in Las Vegas, you know, and I was keeping in touch with all the guys who were working on the strip because I knew that I moved out there to, to work on the strip, not to be on the road for crying out loud. Yeah. So I would send them postcards and I would let them know my itinerary. And when I was off, 
you know, you go after Buddy and you'd be on the road for three months and then you'd be off a week and out for another three months and off a week. Well, during that week's time, I would get to know the guys who were on the strip playing and they would mm-hmm. want to take a day off. Mm-hmm. So I got to know all the books and all the hotels of all the shows. And so it, it, was, um, it was my way in to get to know the trumpet players. Mm-hmm. And then as a result, you get to know the band leaders and the band leaders out there, they enjoyed seeing the same person every night. Right. And when the, and when and when the yeah. sub came in, they got a little nervous because sure. they weren't they weren't quite sure how the sub was going to do. So my job was to play the book the way the person who had the job played it, mm-hmm. not the way I thought it should be played. Mm-hmm. And so back in the old cassette days, so you'd print your cassette deck, sit behind them, record the show, mm-hmm. get a copy of the book, take it home, woodshed it, so that when you when you got up there to sub for that person, you sounded like the person in the seat. So the band director. They did. They could close their eyes and didn't know that a sub was in the band. So I feel that that was really instrumental to me breaking in. And of course, it's all who you know in this crazy business. Right, right. I got to know Walt Blanton, who was an Adams student. And by the way, Walt was at the University of Kentucky before Vince uh, in the in the 70s. What was the last name on that? Walt Blanton. B-L-A-N-T-O. Oh, yeah. Right, yeah. Right. This is probably 70 to 76 or 77, maybe. Mm-hmm. And so then Walt moved out to Las Vegas after being with Woody's band. And uh, I I called Walt. Walt introduced me to a few trumpet players, including Tony Scottwell, Mm -hmm. who Tony was out on Harry James's band for a long time. And Tony was a lead trumpet player at the Frontier, where Walt was working for Siegfried and Roy. Mm -hmm. And so I started subbing there a little bit. And when um, Stu Sadiloff left Las Vegas, he was at Caesar's Palace for a while. Mm-hmm. When Stu Sadiloff left to move back to Philadelphia, Caesar's Palace needed needed a lead trumpet player for the house orchestra. Mm-hmm. Because of Tony Scottwell, knowing Al Ramsey, the band leader at that time, Tony called Al on my behalf, and I had never met Al Ramsey before in my life. And next thing I know, my audition is playing for Sinatra at Caesar's Palace. And that's that's another true story. And so... <laughs> Because of one thing and luck and knowing the right people at the right time and just being able to play, you know, I'll say this, I say this to all my students and I'll say it to the day I die, your people skills will get you on the job. Your musical skills will keep you on the job. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it has served me well. And so I, I kind of get overzealous with my students and preach to them a lot about this people business. Yeah. And uh, you know you got to be able to play, yes, but you better be able to get along and be That's a nice, right. nice person. Otherwise, right. you won't ever get the chance to get That's on the right. gig. So, yeah. my life has been a fairy tale. I mean, I've done everything in the music business that I ever ever thought I would possibly do, including teaching at te- teaching at the collegiate level. Yeah, the best thing that ever happened to Greg Wing is to be around so many of these young, energetic students that you pick up on their you pick up on their their energy, but yeah. at the same token you have an opportunity to get inside their heads and teach them about goal setting and desires and work ethic and desire and all these things that we know, but they don't know. Mm-hmm. You mean I got to practice this thing? Yeah. How many hours a day you got to practice? However long it takes. Right. <laughs> so I, I teach them about time management. I have a schedule from 6 a.m. to midnight. Mm-hmm. And I'm serious. If you're not up at practicing at 6 a.m., you're not going to make it. And I did it. Mm-hmm. Indiana, Indiana was a pretty tight, tight ship. Mm-hmm. The trumpet players there studied with Mr. Adam. If you weren't in the practice room real early, first of all, you didn't get a practice room yeah. because Indiana University was full. Mm-hmm. And so we learned to get there early just, just so we could get a practice room. Yeah. And, and we stayed there all day and we did practice eight or, serious, eight or nine or 10 hours a day. You know, I've, on, 
a lot of friends uh, that have gone through IU yeah. and uh, they, they talk about this, you know, they talk about the studios being, the practice rooms being full at six and seven <laughs> in the morning. And, and the joke is, you know, if you show up at seven o'clock, uh, you know, somebody who's been there at six goes, you know, I'm already an hour better than you. <laughs> you know, and you know, it's like that's that's a great uh, competitive atmosphere. I think a friendly competitive atmosphere like that. Well, the competitive, the competitiveness, and the camaraderie. As a result, everybody rose to become better people mm -hmm. through the trumpet, and uh, that's interesting. You know, you do you do work on yourself, and mm -hmm. everybody has the trials and tribulations that they go through. Trumpet is just the device in which we go through all of the stuff until we begin to figure us out. Mm -hmm. I remember Mr. Adam telling me, he said, Greg, I can't teach you how to play trumpet. He says, all I can do is teach you how to control you so you can get out of the trumpet what you want. And my God, I'm, I'm 68 going to be, yeah, I'm six, I'm going to be 68 and I'm still one day at a time. Yeah. I mean, I've already practiced several hours a day. And when we get done here, I've got, I've got another set to do and mm -hmm. I get my five hours a day and it's not bad for summer break. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 We yeah. just finished. We just finished down here. Finals were last week, but you yeah. know, due due to the COVID nineteen, it's uh, uh, the kids have had an interesting, challenging, challenging time with staying on task. Yep. And so I'm I've uh, I've had to text them daily and check in with check in with them at least two times a week. And mm -hmm. how you doing on your classes? Are you keeping up? And yeah. some of them have done well, and others haven't done so well. So it's, yeah. uh, it's a wide spectrum of maturity, as you know. Yeah. 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 It's, it's been a challenge, you know, it's, uh, I, I think, uh, having to work much harder on our end, the teacher's end, uh, yeah. to, because you don't have that, that, that connection side by side. Right. And, sure. it's, and I think to yeah. keep their interest, to keep them engaged, uh, during yeah. those lessons, uh, yeah, it's better, it's better than nothing for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, the, thank God to the technology platforms that were, that were able to even to do this podcast. You know I mean? Mm -hmm. A month ago, to be honest with you, I didn't even know what Zoom was. <laughs> I, I, I knew what Skype was, yeah. but uh, I've got some pretty decent Bose speakers sitting right here beside me. And even, even with a decent set of speakers, the quality isn't what it should be. It's mm -hmm. marginal at best. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can tell what they're doing and I can coach them on style, but as far as physiology and listening to them, it's, it, it's a little difficult. So you just kind of do the best you can. Yeah. I hope we don't have to go through this again in our lifetime because it's certainly, Amen. certainly been different. Yeah. You know, my different. Heart goes, <laughs> different. That's the, yeah. that's the biggest know, my, understatement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, gosh, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, but you, now that you find out that people predicted this and some guys wrote books after the 1918 Spanish flu yeah, and that they had written books and about the prediction of, of this is going to happen. And ah, boy, yeah. I'm glad I'm, I'm glad I just have to worry about playing trumpet, you know? Yeah. Hey, let's talk a little bit more about uh, you going to IU. You said that was your master's. Yeah, uh, yeah. Where where had you done your bachelor's degree? That was I've come full circle, Larry. I, I did my undergraduate oh, right. at Moorhead as well. Forgive me, I, I remember you said that. Yeah. yeah. I was at Moorhead from I graduated high school in 1971. So from 71 to 75, I was at Moorhead. And then I got an opportunity to go on the road with a show band out of Columbus, Ohio, Paul Caldwell, right. through Johnny Moore's agency. And so my wife and I moved to Columbus, Ohio and had a nice, beautiful apartment up there and Paul had me on a retainer, and I was his trumpet player, musical arranger. Mm -hmm. So conductor, musical arranger, trumpet player. Mm -hmm. I learned how to do a lot of cool things by doing all these convention shows, traveling around the country with him for a year. Mm -hmm. 
but I knew I wanted to get back to Indiana to do my graduate work. So I was at Indiana from 77 to 81. I took the long road to get a master's degree. Sure. Yeah, it was, it was a rather, it was a rather eye-opening experience to take graduate courses at Indiana when I hadn't been exposed to that level of competency before. Yeah. And so it took a while for me to get the hang of it, but I wasn't in any hurry. I wanted to study with Mr. Adam and, uh, I've been very fortunate to to get a master's degree there. Yeah. I'm sorry I didn't get a doctorate, but as it turned out, I didn't need a doctorate. I was one of the fortunate few to, yeah. to get involved in higher ed and even become a full professor at Moorhead State without my as my master's being my terminal degree. Yeah. So very fortunate. Well, your resume pretty much speaks for itself. I mean, I think you've got a little well, bit more experience than the doctorate, whatever, <laughs> whatever. Well, uh, it, it's interesting, but we we have we have similar discussions with my colleagues about about you know the doctorate in higher yeah. ed versus practical experience. So it, yeah. Uh, yeah. I've I've been really fortunate to do it. Yeah. I'm so uh, was Charlie Gorham at IU when you were there, or was that a little bit later? Say again, please. Uh, Gorham, Charlie Gorham. I, I never studied with Mr. Gorham. I, mm -hmm. um, I, I just went in and studied with Mr. Adam. He took mm -hmm. me from the first on. So I studied with him four years. And um, I regret taking some pedagogy classes with Mr. Gorham because, boy, he really knew his stuff according to what his students were telling me. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. Louis Davidson was still there. So, I mean, my oh, yeah. gosh, and Harvey Phillips. I mean, Phil Farkas. I mean, from the brass rows, the best in the world, for crying right. out loud. You know, right. so... <clears throat> So I got to ask, um, you know, you, you get out to Vegas, no job, you yep. get that call for, for Buddy Rich. Yep. Uh, you knew his charts, probably you knew the music, uh, maybe for some out from some albums. Mm -hmm. uh, but he, what was it like sitting down in Detroit on that first night? And reading, <laughs> and reading you know, was there a little bit of panic going on? Or did well, you feel pretty good about it? I I was too busy to pay attention to how nervous I was. In other words, my <laughs> mind was engaged in, oh my gosh, he's going to throw the downbeat and I got to play. Now, it was nice because obviously I got the recommendation from one of the guys who I was in Indiana with, Nick Thorpe. Mm -hmm. So Nick, who recommended me to Steve, is how I got on the job. And when I got there, not only was Nick there helping me, talking about mm -hmm. buddy likes this, buddy like this, but one of the guys I had just met previous to moving to Las Vegas was Greg Marcial. I turned around to my right and Greg Marcial was on my right side. So there's a guy from Vegas who I knew. Mm. So I had Greg on my right and Nick on my left and they're talking to me all the way through the set. Play it like this, buddy likes this, buddy likes this. So if it wasn't for the it wasn't for their help, yeah. I, I don't think I'd have done nearly as well. But I mean I didn't look at Buddy once that night. I kept my <laughs> head down. I mean I mean, you know, at the end of the first set, it, it was West Side Story. At the end of the second set, it was Channel One Sweet. Oh, jeez. And that, and that was every night. And I remember up to the F sharp. I can't sing it. I can play it. <laughs> and, uh, and I remember that coming up, and, and it came out really loud and clean. I went, okay, there we go. And, you know, we'd open up the, we'd open up the first set with Wind Machine, our time check. Right. And it was like... It was fast and it was on top of the beat and you played it with Buddy. There was no other way to play. So long story short, in about three weeks, I knew enough, obviously, and at the end of the two weeks, I was okay. When we came back from that break, I pretty much had the lead book memorized where I wasn't looking at the mm. charts too much, but I was watching right. Buddy's hands. Mm. I watched his hands because he liked the, he liked 
people, first of all, you had to keep your eyes on him on his drum solos all the time. Mm -hmm. That was just the way he wanted everybody to make sure you were watching him play. And uh, he would throw little signals out and do a little wink here with his hand to set you up for a certain figure that he was going to play. So I figured, well, if you're, if you're the boss and you're paying me my salary, I'm going to play with you. <laughs> and so he taught me. He taught me how to, to, to play lead by watching the drummer's hands. Mm -hmm. And, oh, my gosh, what an experience. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. the, you know, you turn on YouTube videos and listen to Buddy and how fast he was. You don't appreciate it until after the fact. But uh, Buddy, I saw the um, I saw the sympathetic, compassionate Buddy Rich. By the way, I had strep throat for a while, and I was spitting up blood. It was so 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 swollen wow. and infected. And Steve went up to Buddy and says, "Hey, wings hurting." And I remember I don't know where we were, but we were at a high school gymnasium when we came out, and Buddy knew I was hurting. He says, "You know," he didn't say much the first set, but then he realized during the second set. So. During the second set, after the after the break, we came back for the second set, and it was like 30 minutes of Steve Marcus in the rhythm section. And then he said, Wing, I got to close with this. And that was Channel One Suite. And I said, okay. And afterwards, he got up. He goes, that was for you, kid. I hope you feel better. Now, fast forward. Fast forward about 1983 to 1988. I had gotten off, buddy. I went back to Las Vegas, played with the Moulin Rouge at the Las Vegas Hilton for a while keeping in touch with all the folks that I know were still playing sure. out in the world. And Jimmy Nuzo was a clarinet player at the executive inn in Evansville, Indiana, mm -hmm. uh, in the house band there. Now we're talking sixties, early sixties to the eighties. Jimmy was probably there 20 years. He was from Chicago. Well, Jimmy got himself knowing Joe Parnello from Chicago, who became Tom Jones's musical director. So all of a sudden Jimmy's out on the road with Tom Jones. Well, I kept in touch with Jimmy. So when Roger got let go with Tom Jones, I remember Roger calling me, Hey, Greg, I just got just got fired from Tom Jones. Here's Marty Harris's telephone number. Give him a call. And, you know, if, if you know how Roger talks, he, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. he talked like that for a while. Right. And um, um, so because of Roger's influence and Jimmy Newsom, I got to go out with, with Tom Jones for for four years until mm -hmm. 1988. I think I lost where I was going with all this, but uh, steer me back in the right direction, Larry. Uh, well, you were talking about, uh, you first started about uh, the compassionate side of Buddy Rich. Oh, thank you. Thank yeah. you, thank you. Here I am out with Tom Jones, and we're, we're at Peachtree Plaza, and uh, when you're with Buddy Rich, Buddy Rich stays at the Ritz-Carlton, and the band stays at the Howard Johnson's, right? But when Tom Jones, when he stays at the Ritz-Carlton, everybody stays at the Ritz-Carlton. Oh, wow. I mean, my God, I remember in the 80s making 1500 a week, all expenses with the per diem with Tom Jones. And you get your own room and where, where he stays, mm -hmm. you stay. And it's, it's a life of luxury. So mm -hmm. I had to. But while I was there in 1985, my father passed away. And I got that daunting call early in the morning when, mm -hmm. when Tom was in Des Moines, Iowa. And so here we are going back to my dad's funeral and there were flowers from Buddy Rich and Tom Jones and Tony Bennett and Frank Sinatra. Mm -hmm. All these folks that I had played with mm -hmm. sent flowers to my father's funeral. And uh, going back a little further now, we were in, we were in Atlanta, Peachtree Plaza. Buddy Rich and the Buddy Rich big band bus pulls up in front of the Rich Carlton when I'm coming back from the drugstore or something. And I see Buddy's bus and I stop and I go, it's Buddy. And everybody's going, wing, wing, wing. Buddy gets off the bus, wing, baby. And so here we are sitting sitting on the planter outside the Ritz-Carlton 
talk, I'm, I'm talking to my grandfather for about 45 minutes. And he wanted to know how I was, how my wife is, how the family, what are you doing back out on the road, blah, blah, blah. He goes, I guess Tom pays you a little bit more than I was paying you, honey, neat snicker. <laughs> but uh, you, don't, you don't forget people like that who've had a positive impact. I mean, yeah, you know, Buddy, Buddy had a unique way of expressing himself. <laughs> And, uh, sure. but I'll tell you what, you sure can, you, no one can deny the man's musicianship. Oh, it's unreal. Unreal. And to be able to expose that, I, it just helped me tremendously. But I saw both sides of Buddy. Mm-hmm. I saw Buddy Rich, the, the way people think of him. And then I saw the real Buddy Rich. Mm-hmm. Soft, soft heart and very quite, uh, quite compassionate and genuine and interested in what you were doing. You know, that's really yeah. nice to hear it, it because yeah. the, the only thing I had ever known about, you know, of course, was the Buddy, Buddy Rich bus tapes, you know, and, and that, that, that happened. That. that happened a year after I was with him, by the way. And uh, <laughs> I, I know the person who had the tape. <laughs> yeah, But, you know, it's nice to know that uh, they're human, you know, and, yeah. and everybody experiences both sides of, of things. So thanks for sharing that. Well, here we are at the middle of today's episode. Just a quick reminder about our sponsors. With Messina Covers, able to cover literally all of your custom case needs. The Eastman Music Company, providing excellence from the professional model all the way down to the beginner model. And of course, Pickett Blackburn, providing you with multitude of options for mouthpieces and trumpets. Now back to today's interview. You know, I'm curious, uh, you, you played some phenomenal books. Uh, Sinatra. Did you ever play Elvis? Uh, no, I, I never got the opportunity. But the band leader, the band leader, and the entertainment director at the Las Vegas Hilton did because that was home for Elvis. Mm-hmm. And um, Joe, Joe Gershio was the entertainment director at the Las Vegas Hilton. He was Elvis's musical director. Mm-hmm. And Jimmy Mulladar, who was a wonderful jazz saxophonist, he was the musical director. Mm-hmm. at the Las Vegas Hilton, and he was with Elvis when Elvis was there. But they would tell me stories, and uh, nope, never got an opportunity. I wish I had, but Elvis had passed on by the time I got out there. Yeah. So yeah. thinking about all those books, was there one that was, um, I don't know, think about any number, you could say one that was more challenging than the other, one more enjoyable than the other mm-hmm. one, or is they I, all just were they what they were? They, well, they were all unique. I mean, my gosh, you got the best musical arrangers and orchestrators in the world. You got Don Costa and Bill Hefty. I mean, you know, you got all these great people. But the four shows, that the four entertainers that stand out to me, obviously, are Frank Sinatra, Tony Bennett, Sammy Davis Jr. Mm. And there was, one, there was one other that, well, how could I not remember? Tony Bennett, Frank Sinatra, Sammy Davis Jr., Natalie Cole. Yeah. Mm. Those were the four. I mean, yeah. to, to do her to do her unforgettable show with her singing unforgettable, the screen comes down and they interplay. I mean, that was, mm-hmm. that was gorgeous. Sinatra scared me to death. He would come out. Hi, boys. Hi, boys. Thank you, boys. That's about it. You know, I mean, wow. you don't have you don't have any personal contact with those entertainers. You know, we're in the house orchestra. We do our job. We stick together. We don't try to hang out with their people. Right. Yeah, that's their entourage. We just do our thing and mm-hmm. and, and uh, wonderful, wonderful opportunity. You know, they would come in for two weeks at a time. And so here we're doing, we're doing 15, 16 shows a week with these mm-hmm. guys. And at the end of it, they come in once, they come in again. You really don't have to have a rehearsal. You just talk it down because you remember right. the, you remember the chart so well. 
Yeah, top and tail, right? Right. This. Uh, yeah, just yeah. just play, but um, shows were great. That's when the house orchestras were, were huge. You know, yeah. Cher Cher was interesting. She came with it with this huge elaborate setup, like she came in and her dressing room was right underneath the trumpets, and then you know right to the side of it. So she came up in this circle. The dressing room was down here. She came up on an elevator in the shape of a circle. And then she walked down these steps right in front of the trumpets down to the showroom. And I'm mm -hmm. thinking, holy cow. Yeah. <laughs> well, well uh, one other name, uh, Wayne Newton. I'm just curious if you ever got to play his show. Yes, I did. About three or four times. Wayne, Wayne was obviously, you know, a tremendous showman. Loved Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. But um, Al Longo and Johnny Madrid, now they were the lead trumpet players when we were with him. So they only used two of the house band at that time. Mm -hmm. And obviously Johnny Madrid had some unbelievably all ultimate hot chops, you know, yeah. not just the double C, but the triple C's. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and Wayne loved to hear it. And how long ago could play, play well, but uh, they, they got paid for their antics and uh, yeah. that's part of the show business of the business, yeah. you know, yeah. people love to, people love to, the people love for you to put on the show for, them. but Wayne, Wayne was Wayne. Have you, you played know, with Wayne? Uh, you know, uh, this is a, I'll make this story short. It was uh, an interesting experience. Terre Haute, Indiana, uh, yeah. about a dozen or so years ago, probably more. I get a call to do this uh, big band deal. It's a rehearsal in the afternoon and a show in the evening at this old theater that, you know, wasn't being used anymore. And uh, this high school 50 year reunion, a guy, funded uh everybody who was still you know part of that class came and he took them all to dinner <laughs> and then he and then he bust him into this theater and uh he had hired wayne newton and his band to come from vegas to play this one-off show <laughs> and you know we were told the band was told the day we you know we got there for the rehearsal they say by the way the tonight's guest artist is wayne newton sure you know <laughs> so i opened the book and i'm Our looking books. through this Books, I should say. Well, you, it was huge, right? I mean, you know, yeah, it's huge. Things. Now, uh, they had already had the set, uh, and his, his drummer took us through the rehearsal. Yeah. Wayne, Wayne came in for the last two tunes to do sound check and then hung out with the band uh, for a little bit. The nicest guy. I mean, he, you know, we all got pictures with him, and oh, but yeah. he, he took the time to talk to us, you know, and, and then came out and the curtains opened. And, and the crowd was like, oh, my gosh, this is really Wayne Newton. <laughs> and it was two and a half hours of the most entertaining thing I had ever seen in my life. Yeah. The variety of instruments, the singing, and he wasn't even in great voice that night, but it didn't sure. matter. He was, I'm like, this is why he's Mr. Las Vegas. You know, it, yeah. was, it was unreal. Yeah. So one time only that I got to play with him, but at least yeah. I can say that. That's right. You know. When Las Vegas, they had a hard time getting him off stage. Sometimes he would do three-hour shows. And, mm -hmm. when, you know, the reason why they bring in these entertainers is to bring people into the hotel so they gamble. Yeah. And so the hotel, the hotel oh, gaming, yeah. the hotel <laughs> gaming, the hotel gaming people, they could care less how long the show. You right. bring them in and they want them to spend money on the way out. Right. And they had to have, they had to have more than one talk with some of these entertainers who put on, <laughs> you know the yeah. two hour show that's why all the shows are under two hours yeah they don't want you doing more than two hours yeah um paul anka had a similar uh personality as buddy he's a good showman yeah just a lot of people you know yeah a lot, so, a lot of, uh, uh 
I don't know how long ago this was. Uh, Roger Ingram came to yep. Indy, did yep. a master class for us, and uh, and I had my first lesson with him. It was great. Yeah. And then I went up to Chicago a couple times, and it was not about playing high. Mm -hmm. He said it's about swing. It's about learning to swing, you know. And he's and so where I'm headed with this is, <clears throat> if you got the high notes, that's great. But if you can't play the style, it doesn't matter, mm -hmm. right? That's exactly and, right. And that was a huge lesson for me. It's like, uh, and and you don't even have to have you know, double C's. I mean, you know, a lot of the books don't have all, it's not all over the place. Yeah. So that was a huge lesson for me. And, you know, I try to communicate that to my students. I'm sure you probably, you know, sure. are doing the same thing uh, with mm -hmm. that. So um, I don't know where I was going with that other than. Well, uh, it's nice because, you know, Roger's a great guy and he's doing well. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we, we keep, we keep in touch occasionally. And, uh, Roger and I had an opportunity to hang out in the early 80s a lot at the, at the Las Vegas Musicians Union with the house mm -hmm. bands. And we'd work a lot of casuals together and a few shows breaking in on some of the relief bands. Back then, the shows were seven nights a week. So you had Lou Elias's relief band and Johnny Haig's relief band. Mm -hmm. And both, both of those big contractors, Lou, Lou had his set of hotels and Johnny Haig had his set of hotels. Mm -hmm. And so you, the guys in the relief band, you were actually doing a different show every night. Mm -hmm. And uh, you learn a lot about style there, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, but Roger's yeah. exactly right. And, you know, Roger, my goodness, he's had tremendous success. And uh, he's obviously one of the best trumpet players on the planet today. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's an awful lot of good musicians out there, you know. It's, uh, <laughs> and and, and that's just one of the reasons I'm having such a kick doing this, is getting to talk to you guys and, yeah. you know, and, and hear the stories. Well, and Sure. And, and it sounds yeah, you certainly had your share of, you know, folks on here i'm thinking what why in the world would you ask me to be on you know well okay i don't know if you can see this in the back i just i gotta hang this poster up but the high you know, louder what a eight yeah uh, H? higher faster louder yeah higher but, faster louder. but see what it says interviews with legends and legends in the making legends in the making there you go you know so it's yeah. it's getting to talk to to people like you a legend in the trumpet yeah. world and yeah. uh and some younger players you know who, who yeah. may not have the stories just yet um and those in, those interviews are a little bit harder because <laughs> i have to talk more you know you it's like to trying, to, yeah. trying to pull pull things out of them but uh yeah it's so funny, um it? you know in in uh you're coming on 19th year at moorhead, yep. moorhead. Um, what have you seen you know with the students uh has your tell me a little bit about how your playing your teaching and playing have evolved yeah. uh, through all that well, you know, in Las Vegas, you get set in doing what you do, and you're a show player. Um, you don't spend too much time playing Charlie's when you're doing the shows, and the shows are the shows out there. The last 12 years, when I was in Vegas, I was at the Lido show at the Stardust Hotel, Lido de Paris. And these are our 45-minute production shows, and they're very, very demanding, very, very difficult. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was the last 12 years I was there. And so when you leave that environment, you know you're going into higher ed, you have to switch caps, you have mm -hmm. to switch the mindset. And uh, my, my playing uh, became more, more versatile. I mean, I was a versatile player in undergrad and going into graduate school. Mm -hmm. You know, the classical and the solos and the show, you were quite versatile. But then you specialize in doing what you do to make a living. Well, coming back into higher ed, I had to really focus on that one. I've got to get back. i got to get back and playing classical. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the first things I had to do was in history of a soldier um, on, on C trumpet. 
And I said, mm -hmm. boy, it's been a long time since I played C trumpet. <laughs> I got a chance to do uh, soprano cornet in the Lexington Brass Band mm -hmm. when Ron Holtz and Tanya Bromley helped, mm -hmm. helped me get on with Vince. And so here I am, fresh out of the boat from Las Vegas, playing soprano cornet in the Lexington Brass Band. And, and the first six months didn't go so well. I got news for you. Yeah. I was thinking, oh, my God, what do I got in my hand here? <laughs> yeah. But you know, through, through practice and perseverance and, and you, you learned, you learned to deal with it. But, uh, yeah. you know, higher ed is, is giving me an opportunity to be able to, uh, you know, and this is, this is going to sound cliche, but it really isn't. This is the heart. You know, you have an opportunity to give back. I've, I've been mm -hmm. fortunate to have a lot of experience and a lot of, a lot of times to, to, to prove a point to your students, you tell them about the stories that you've had and what you've had to endure to get the job, what you had to endure to keep the job, what you've had to endure to maintain a high level of playing night after night after night, how to get yourself in shape, how to practice for the show, how to maintain sanity during the show. And you have a chance to talk to so many of these kids about what they aspire to do, but they 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 don't get all the ABCs of of the process, mm -hmm. and so I think that's what I'm enjoying more about this than anything. I get to share my experiences with them, in a way I get to relive it all every day, but in hopes that they understand that anything is possible. If a kid from Covington, Kentucky, who had a dream to play professionally, can figure it out, mm -hmm. I talked to Jerry Hay about three weeks. Uh, Jerry Hay, as you know, is is a legend in his own right. Absolutely. Jerry is a very good friend of mine. Uh, he was my guest on my performance class to the students about two weeks ago on a Monday. Mm -hmm. And Jerry was talking about the tenacity of a trumpet player and what you need to do and how you need to maintain your discipline and perfect your craft. And if you want to play with the best in the world, you've got to be one of the best in the yeah. world. Yeah. And I said, well, how did you get there? I said, well, I practice and I practice. And Jerry wrote a lot, obviously. Mm -hmm. Jerry A. Horns are legendary. But uh, he says, writing is one thing, being able to play is another. <laughs> and yeah. so, he, so he kept it up and surrounded himself with the best in the world. And that was Jerry Hayes' story about all this. But yeah. in higher ed, you know, we teach our students to try to become better at what we had, you know, better yeah, than what we did, and show them that this is the way you do it. Now, you can't make everybody do it, and not everybody wants to do it. The thing that I often I chuckle out a lot about is that, well, you know, I come I have to learn all this. I'm just going to be a band director. And I said, oh, you hit the hot spot, buddy. Sit down. And I said, well, how in the world are you going to teach it if you can't do it? Amen. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, how are you going to teach them to read rhythms if you can't read the score? How, why do we have to transpose? Well, let's say the horn player, the alto sax player, Needs, needs to know what their notes are and your score is in concert key. How are you going to be able to tell them what the notes mm -hmm. are? Better yet, can you play their parts for them? Mm -hmm. Well, don't you think you better be able to transpose to do that? You know you know what I mean, Larry. You've Absolutely. been through this. Yeah, but, but you know uh, what? It, it's great to hear somebody else say it. It's like, <laughs> I'm not alone in this fight, you know? <laughs> you know during, the, uh, during the Kentucky Professor's live Facebook that Jason Double hosted, yeah, yeah he, he says, uh, if you ever had anybody come in, they weren't prepared, what do you do? And I said, well, I kick them out is what I do. And they go, oh, old school, old school. Yeah, and right. And I said, well, well, I tell you what, it may be old school, but it sure gets their attention that you're not going to put up with their excuses yeah. or their, their mediocrity attitude. You've got to work at this. And so we often see the transformation, you know, when they yeah. come in, they come in as puppies, as I say, 
And then they leave as young adults not knowing, knowing that they don't know as much as they thought they did. And so, yeah, I, I remember those days. You know, when you're in high school and you're the first chair and you think, boy, I got this all figured out. Then you go to college and there's 50 players better than you. You go, right. oh. Right. Uh, kind of, yeah, it kind of puts a... Well, uh, that's, that's exactly what happened to me because my first year at UK yeah. uh, was Al Hood, Rob Parton, oh, Brad, I know Rob. Brad Good. I yeah. mean, you know, there were and exactly what you said in my high school, man, I was, yeah. I was it. And then boy, did I learn my place pretty quickly, <laughs> you know, and, uh, but that was also a great thing because, you know, you're surrounded not just by good teachers, great teachers, but you know, that was another thing. Vinny could recruit like crazy, you know, and oh, he's got yeah. all these great players in and oh. I learned a lot just from being around those guys. Yep. And, and not just those three uh, that I mentioned, but there were so many others, of course. And uh, I, you know what? I, I want to ask you about this. Uh, Ken Haddix. Did you did you know Ken Haddix over at EKU? Yes. Trombone player. Yes, I'm a Ken. And this is a huge left turn out of this, but um, I, I just didn't know if you guys were close enough in you know geographically to to know each other that well. But uh, uh, I was just going to say, Kenny became a very good dear friend of mine. Uh, through the Owensboro Symphony, and oh sure, I, I just missed the daylights out of him. Yeah, and you're still playing in the Owensboro? Yeah, I'm at UND. I got my bachelor's at UND. You're at Moorhead. You got yeah. your bachelor's at Moorhead. I mean, yeah. How did how did that process go? You knew there was going to be an opening at Moorhead, or did they contact you? Uh, how, did, how did that work out that you get that job? Well, again, coming from Las Vegas into the higher education world, there was there were some strong perspectives that how in the world can a person from Las Vegas ever fit into higher education? I've got a doctorate degree. You know, I've been trained to be a college professor. And that's one mindset, as you know. Sure, yes. And so I had to realize that uh, coming into higher ed, there were going to be some things that I needed to change and keep my mouth shut for a few years. <laughs> Get to, get, to, get to know my colleagues and treat them like the, like the wonderful people they are. Mm -hmm. And uh, you just let the chips fall where they may. So I knew I was going into their arena. And so I adapted. I changed. One of my colleagues said, well, you know, you're, you're, you're a lot different than what I thought you would be. And I says, I'm not going to mention the person's name. I said, you know, I just moved my family cross country 2,000 miles to change jobs. There was no way that I wasn't going to make this work. I said, I'm smart enough to have made a living in a very competitive world for many, 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 many years. And I says, all I'm doing is the same thing I did out there. And it, it, it served me well out there. I know it's going to serve me well here. Yeah. But uh, Las Vegas was wonderful. My career out there was wonderful. I mean, the stories are endless. I teach the music business class in Moorhead. And again, I get to teach about networking. I get to teach about all these facets of the music business. Mm -hmm. I can't get any jobs. Well, let me show you what you need to do. Number one, do this. Number two, do that. You know, networking, contacting people, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Kids don't know how to do that. They're scared to pick up the phone. But it's I so said, easy these days, right? It's, it's so, easy. so easy to network. Yeah, yeah. it's simple. You know, but that's how it is. You know, I remember calling a couple of band leaders out in Las Vegas and, you know, they said, Oh yeah, yeah, sure. Kid, I'll give me your number. And that's the last of it. They don't know who you, they don't know you. They're not going to call you. Right. But if such and such calls them and say, Hey, have you heard this trumpet player in town named Greg wing? Greg wing. Yeah. Yeah. He called me a couple of weeks ago. 
I said, well, well, you need to listen to him play. The kid's something else, blah, blah, blah. You know, you know the stuff. And so sure. all of a sudden, the next time he came around, the band director would call me because, not because of me, but because the the influence that someone else had to put mm-hmm. me in that mm-hmm. in that opportunity. So that's what the music business is all about. Obviously, you know that. But kids today, they don't understand that you have to treat it like a business. Mm-hmm. You have to nurture it. You've got to get those contacts. You've got to stay in touch with those contacts. Yeah. You got to know who's working and you got to be able to play regardless yeah. of what it is. Like Roger said, you got to know styles and you've got to be able to read yeah. and uh, you, they won't fire you. They just won't call you again. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right. They'll, they'll right. pay you, but they won't call you back. And so yeah. you'll, you'll burn the bridge there. We don't want that to happen. Music business has been a great business. And yeah. uh, Teaching these kids, you know, how to play trumpet. And I, actually, you know, my philosophy is I teach them about life through the trumpet. Mm-hmm. If, I can, if I can teach them to be, become mentally free, have a good self-image and a good heart and a good work ethic and a good, good nature about it, it's interesting how there's a direct correlation between calming them down and getting all the ego and all this stuff out of the way into what comes out the trumpet. Yeah. So it's all, it's all pretty similar. Been, is it is it too late for me to come study with you? <laughs> Listen, vice versa. We're, we are <laughs> we are lifelong students of the trumpet, right? Yeah. yeah. Somebody always has something interesting to say and something to try. Yeah. You know, Scott Belk is a perfect example. He's insane. We love him, yeah, but he's yeah, insane. <laughs> I mean, that flexibility book of his, oh, give me a break. He can play him. Yeah. He can play him. Yeah. But, well, uh, I can too, but not, you know. <laughs> yeah, Scott is great. I mean, we we've worked a lot up in Cincinnati. My circle, my circle of influence has been Cincinnati and Louisville, mm-hmm. and so you know, I, I'm so fortunate. I'm yeah. busy as I choose to be at this yeah. stage in my life. You know. Hey, uh, I want to. We're going to go back a ways. I want to ask you uh, your first live concert with a trumpet player. Who who did you hear live the first time that you remember? Uh, it was Maynard Ferguson. Up in <laughs> Up in northern Kentucky, maybe maybe it was Buddy in high school. Yeah, it was probably Buddy Rich's band at the Lookout House in northern Kentucky off of Dixie Highway, the Lookout House. One of those supper clubs like Beverly Hills yeah. Lookout House. That downstairs in the convention room, that's the first time I heard a live band. That was Buddy Rich's band. Trumpet player, it was Maynard two years later in some high school in Erlanger, Kentucky. Yeah. And uh, that's when Lynn Nicholson was playing lead, oh. and they would come out in the house and play Hey Jude. Right. That's the first time I've heard anybody play that. Yeah. And uh, Lynn and I became pretty good friends because, you know, he's out in Las Vegas now. Oh, yeah. And he's been out there for, you know, 50 years. But I mean, yeah. Lynn, talking about high chops. I mean, right. you've heard the YouTube videos. Lynn, well, I've seen the one where he just plays the rim, right? And it's oh, just, yeah. it's, yeah. it's, it's crazy. But I mean, Lynn, uh, at the start of the show, there was an African segment. And there was this eight bars that Lynn took up the octave every night. This was Bill Rogers from Johnny Hodges, uh, Johnny Haig's relief band. And Lynn played it up an octave every night up to a double D and he never, he never missed. It was so clean. <laughs> and so Lynn, Lynn had that master that no, no one else had that Lynn Nicholson's high chops like that. Unbelievable. Did you ever get to hear Chase live? No, but I talked to Al. Oh, forgive me. I, I just lost it. That's okay. But, but Ted Piercefield, with Chase. He lives in Louisville, Kentucky, Oldham County. I recorded, I recorded all the trumpet work on Ted's first album. And I recorded the trumpet tracks from the studio of my office. Uh-huh. He mailed me the tracks. I recorded the tracks, mailed them back to him, and he mixed it all together. 
Wow. But Ted Pusefield, now he had stories about Chase. Yeah. You know, oh, um, at the ITG down in Miami last year, uh, Andrea Tofanelli and the uh, Yamaha European All-Stars, um, Andrea did uh, a Chase tribute. And so they did an, a concert of all Chase. Really? Yeah. Yeah, it was electric. You know, I mean, you <laughs> got these, these five trumpets up front and a and a killer trump uh, rhythm section, and I mean, I had never experienced that stuff other than on YouTube or an album. Yeah, but to hear those charts, some of those charts live was was like, can you imagine doing that night after night? Well, yes, you can because you've done it. <laughs> you've done that. Um, but uh, you know, Maynard, I heard Maynard three times live, oh, yeah. and Chuck Manjone, yeah. and uh, you know, it's. We're it, it's unbelievable. Yeah, unbelievable. You know. the, 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 the 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 profound impact that they have on you you as as a trumpet player yeah. is is sometimes overwhelming. Yeah. Quite quite emotional sometimes to hear yeah. that hear that energy and and they're still love they're still doing what they love to do. I well, mean, yeah. and you know even even uh, Sergey uh, Nikariakov these days, yeah. uh, he is my go to for just beautiful expressive playing Hokan Hardenberger and what oh, yeah. he's done with the Charlier etudes yes. recently. I mean, I've known he's a great player, but Holy cow. Uh, you know, he's taken that to another whole other level. That's a whole other level. And yes. you know, just there's, there's, we have access to such great players any time of day, any style, yeah. you know, I'm a big fan of so many out there, but mm -hmm. Hey, um, you know what? This is a great place for us to wrap up. Um, sure. And give us an excuse to get back together again at, at, at another <laughs> yeah, absolutely. point. Absolutely. You know, so this has been a lot of fun. I appreciate you. It has been fun. Thank you very much. And I appreciate absolutely. you being a part of this. Thanks, everybody, for listening to today's interview. Hope you enjoyed it. And we'll come back next week for another great interview. Just a reminder that you can help support this podcast by becoming a subscriber at patreon.com. That's P A T R E O N dot com slash studio hfl you can become a subscriber for as little as three dollars a month or a sponsor for as much as 20 to 50 dollars a month i'd like to thank again the sponsors for this podcast messina covers the eastman music company and picket blackburn all three companies providing excellence in their products and customer service be sure to check them out at messinacovers.net the Eastman Music Company at eastmanwinds.com and Pickett Blackburn at pickettblackburn.com. Thanks again. Now, go practice. <laughs>